And welcome on in, everybody, to the Check Your Brain podcast, wherever you are watching or listening to this. And when I say listening to it, not just on my Patreon, it was going to do this as a maybe a Rumble podcast and then on my Patreon. But you know what? As my gift to you between Christmas and New Year's and, of course, Kwanzaa, I got to mention Kwanzaa, uh, our uh, great first lady, <laughs> Kamala Harris, wished everybody Kwanzaa. Uh, either not knowing or not caring the original story of it. But my Kwanzaa gift to you folks is this podcast uh, that I'm going to put on YouTube. Yes, I'm going to put it on YouTube until it gets probably taken down. Rumble, which it won't get taken down. And the major podcast platform. So this is my gift, my 2023 gift. That is my podcast logo if you're watching on the video. And this is me wearing my Nine Inch Nails hat. My name is Tony Mazer. Good to be with you as we wrap up 2023 and head on into the craziness and that's not a prediction that's more of just a matter of fact that 2024 is going to be again my name is tony mazer let me get the plugs out of the way for what i do first this podcast today is going to be a companion piece to what i did just a couple of days ago that got released on the podcast platforms which is my 2023 in review what this was because uh, I'm an old radio guy, worked in it for 15 years, as you folks know very well, talk about it all the time. And you know how you work at a radio station, a music, it's like 92.7. It's like, hey, we got the top 92 songs of the year. Ugh. Yeah, I'll, I'll pass. I didn't really like the first 92, so I don't really like all the others. But I did like when you were talking news about what were the biggest news stories of the year. So I covered just about every one of them in a two-hour podcast. I'm not beholden to commercials. I'm not beholden to traffic and weather updates or getting to the next show. So I did two hours. Who do I think I am? Joe Rogan? No. Joe has uh, less hair and more tattoos than I am. Not much of a difference. <laughs> yeah, okay. maybe a little bit more successful than I am. So this is a companion piece. What I am mentioning in today's episode, you can also hear in the other one with audio and my commentary, but this one is going to be a little bit more long-form commentary, and it's the top 10 stories of the year. So if you already listen, you're like, all right, I already listened to you the other day. I don't need to hear more of it. Okay, then we'll see you next year then. <laughs> then, uh, But if you enjoy that and I get more in-depth and a little bit more updates to what some of these stories have been, because there have been updates to them when they uh, were released earlier in the year and what's been going on as we wrap up 2023 into 2024. So these are going to be the top 10 stories of the year. So if you like that podcast, then hope you like this one. You can go check that show out over if you're just stumbling upon this on YouTube or Rumble. Go to uh, your major podcast platforms. Find Check Your Brain, the Check Your Brain podcast. And uh, yeah, you should be able to see that. If you want more content from me, go to patreon.com slash Tony Mazer and you will be able to, for three bucks a month, get a lot more content. And I get a little more salty with the language. I'm salty in general, but the language gets a little saltier. Oh boy. As I mentioned, uh, it is a video in this video podcast. Um, the reason I'm doing this, like being the old radio guy that I am, it's I, I like going over some of the stories because there's a lot that you may have forgotten about or that there hasn't been an update or there was an update. You just didn't read about it. And I, I like going over that kind of stuff as we head into the next year. You say, oh, man, I forgot that, ha that happened this year. I thought, gosh, I thought that happened five years ago. I thought it happened 10 years ago. I thought it was last year, but I guess it was this year. 
So I like going over it again so we don't make those mistakes as we head into the next year. Um, 2023 was, I, I guess, uh, kind of like 2019. If you remember four years ago, you had uh, there was a president named Donald Trump. And that was a year where we started finding out the Mueller report was a big, I hate using this word, but nothing burger. It was a nothing burger. This whole Russian collusion for two plus years, Trump and his presidency was bogged down with he was in adam schiff said we have direct collusion or uh, evidence that he was colluding with the russians and this is and then by about march of 2019 it came out there like yeah there wasn't really much there it was like a couple of ad buys on facebook and it wasn't as big of a deal see by the way i can start to talk about these things this is probably what i i what have i been doing the podcast a couple of minutes he'll probably get banned from youtube already <laughs> so um but then there was a couple of stories that did pop up in 2019, but it was a calming of the storm as you headed into a crazy year that was 2020. It was crazier than we even could imagine. So I can't even think about what 2024 is going to be like. However, unlike 2019, 2015, 2011, certainly in 2007, these off-year election, like the year before the election year, um, there was a lot going on, and I wanted to discuss them on this podcast today. So let's get started with, I believe, the biggest story of the year. Um, actually, and I'd say they would be in conjunction, were the two huge disasters that uh, just kind of went away. After a little bit, people pretended to care for about a week or two, and that was it. And that was Maui and East Palestine. So the Maui fires were going on in... Uh, uh, later in the summertime, and uh, this update that came out actually this week, it says scientists have a new theory on what caused the Maui wildfire that left 100 people dead, and it wasn't the nearby hurricane that thrashed the islands. Scientists have introduced a new theory behind what caused the blah, 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 blah. I already said that. New theory debunks previous attempts linking the wildfire to nearby Hurricane Dora, that uh, that thrashed the island. Laboratory models show the wildfires were fueled by the same meteorological phenomenon behind California's worst wildfires, a downslope windstorm. Is that the story, though? The why? I, I guess when you think about COVID, you would think about the why. You would hear about the lab leak. You would hear about how it went airborne, literally in the air, but then also went across, got out of Wuhan and went over into different countries. And basically every country got hit with COVID. It's not so much with Maui, the why or the how it's the why. And it's the lack of action, the inaction that it, it just seemed that politicians didn't really care about the people of Maui. They said there's a hundred dead. I, I think it's a lot more than that. I think it's a lot more people displaced. And you had Joe Biden, our great president, our great with it, mentally capable president that we have, is on vacation. He's riding his bike. He's laying on the beach getting a suntan. He's ignoring reporters. And he was getting ready to go on another vacation. He was going to Nevada to a Democrat donor and Tom Steyer into his place in Lake Tahoe to, uh, I don't know, just go over some things. And <sighs> yes, I got to go to Maui. Maui. I mean, look, uh, they vote for me, so that's why I'm going to go there. That's the only reason he went there. If Maui were a MAGA stronghold, do you even think Joe Biden would step foot on that island? That he would have even gotten on a plane into that time zone? No, 
I don't think so. But he went there and Biden, it was it was the lack of action and that you were starting to see things start to break down and the lack of communication and the lack of care. I mean, you were hearing stories about how there are people who are still waiting for payments. It wasn't $700 per person that this was affected by is a slap in the face. But no, it wasn't even $700 a person. It was $700 a household. $700. Have you been to Hawaii? I haven't been to Hawaii, but my I, I have some really good friends who went there for their honeymoon. $700 is like one meal. It's not even a, it, sometimes it's not even a full grocery trip. $700 is a lot of money over there as far as spending it. $700 as a payment? I mean, it's not even a, it, it may pay, pay an electric bill. That is sickening. And there are people still waiting to this day about some kind of action, some government action. And it just, it, it, it Nobody cared. Nobody said anything. It wasn't much of a thing. And Biden goes there for an afternoon, it seemed. He stepped off. He's like, hey, look at the dogs have little boots on. Hey, they made some ridiculous speech like, hey, my hey, people, it's uh, horrible loss, horrible loss. And then stories of barricades that people got stopped and they were, weren't able to look for loved ones or their belongings. And I, I mentioned in the podcast the other day, so I'm trying not to repeat myself much, but this is a little bit more of a long form thing. And it's on different platforms that people haven't checked out that there was that mother who was looking for her kid who was walking his dog and local authorities said, oh, uh, we already cleared this place out. There's no there's nobody here. So she defies it, finds her son hugging his dog, both burnt to crisp. And those are those horrible stories that it gets forgotten about. If this was Donald, if Donald Trump was president and the only thing he did was he threw a, he threw a couple of paper towels as a disaster relief thing and he jumped back on Air Force One, it, it, there would be a huge riot in this country to say like he didn't do enough. He didn't do enough. The fact that George W. Bush, who I'm not a fan of, by the way, got as much crap for Hurricane Katrina his inaction, that Bush blew up the levees, Bush didn't do nothing, Bush and FEMA dropped the ball on this, and Lake Pontchartrain was flooded, and this was a whole big conspiracy theory and everything, and Chocolate City and Ray Nagin, all, all, go through the whole thing with Katrina and look up George Bush. George Bush doesn't care about black people. And this was going on, and it became kind of the, the waterloo, no pun intended, the waterloo of George Bush's presidency was he gets reelected in 2004. This happens in late August of 2005, and it plagues the rest of his presidency. A guy who had fairly high approval ratings in his first term, it dropped off the planet from Iraq and Afghanistan to everything else what going on. But Hurricane Katrina really, really did a number on George Bush's presidency. Joe Biden? Yeah, no. No, it's it's a blip. If you mentioned Maui, they would say, oh, you know, the government did all they could. You know, what was it? Uh, Car what's his name? Who did the um, was it Miguel Cardona who said the thing uh, that says, well, if I can paraphrase Ronald Reagan, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. 
First of all, no, that's not what he was saying. Second of all, completely out of context. Third, you're a moron. The government absolutely failed Maui, but Democrat governor, Democrat mayor, Democrat president, Democrat media, it's out of the news. So you get a couple of stories of maybe a local reporter's like, hey, we caught up with the uh, Luca Lali family who says they haven't gotten their payment. And it's not, CNN's not picking it up. Wall Street Journal, you know, New York Times, even Fox News, they're not even mentioning it. Maui was out of the papers. And especially by the time you got to October 7th, anything from my next story, which is related to this one, it's in my top 10 of East Palestine, is it all went out the window because the focus went, even Ukraine, another story I'll get to this year, this year in this podcast from this year, is that all went by the wayside as soon as October 7th happened. So anything leading up to that, thrown out the window. It's like the year did, 2023 didn't, it was in two parts. It was January 1st to October 6th, and then October 7th on. And everybody's going to remember what happened since October. I understand, but let's keep our focus here, folks. That's kind of what I'm talking about here in this podcast. So the next story, of course, is East Palestine. And Maui was back in August. This one was in early February. And what was sickening about East Palestine, not just from the fact that I live about an hour and 20 minutes from East Palestine, Ohio. I've been to East Palestine. I've driven through there. But we started seeing these mushroom clouds happening in this town. And you started seeing it on Twitter and a couple of places like, why is no one talking about this? There is a massive fire. There's massive smoke. People can't drink their water. And it took well over a week and a half, maybe almost two weeks for anybody to discuss this. This happened in early February. We started hearing reports finally Local, I, I, I will grant here in Ohio and in Pennsylvania, local news picked up on it. It didn't go national until around Valentine's Day. So it was well, it was almost two weeks that this had happened. So East Palestine's still a mess nearly a year after train derailment poisoned the town. The story that highlighted America's crumbling freight lines is not over yet. This was published today when I'm recording this on December 27th. The small town of East Palestine, Ohio, ended up in the headlines for weeks this February after a Norfolk Southern train hauling dangerous chemicals jumped its tracks and created an environmental nightmare for residents and cleanup crews alike. After almost a year, things are not much better in East Palestine. Residents say they're still dealing with hazardous chemicals in their water, strange smells, and health problems after the February 3rd derailment sent burning toxic vinyl chloride into the air. Now it seems federal, state, and commercial interest in cleaning up the small community is just waning. One woman who's been active in seeking justice for East Palestine told Fox News the community feels betrayed. So, yeah, this is a story that went away pretty quick. It Again, it was covered in local press, but by March it was done. We focused on Scott Adams saying something on a podcast. That was about it. It was actually after Trump went there. And the media did not want to mention this, that this helped Trump. And I, I'll get to Trump in a little bit uh, because it has to do with RFK, DeSantis, and his rise. Because if you think about when Don, well, again, I'll get, I'll get to that. I want to focus only on East Palestine right now. So why was East Palestine a big story? Well, this was a story that dealt with 
a company that had this happen and the lack of government action, just like with Maui. And it took how long for anybody to even discuss this? The only person on the ground, it seemed like, was Senator J.D. Vance, previous guest, two-time guest of this podcast. J.D. Vance was there, and he's like, would you, he's holding up the, going up to a local creek and saying, would you drink this water? It looked like there was film on it. It was, it was sickening what was going on in this town. And why wasn't it mentioned? Why is it out of the news already? Because of it's middle America. And these media outlets are New York, Los Angeles, San Francisco, Chicago. Even though Chicago is technically middle America, it's if it were up to journalists, if it were up to the coast, Chicago would be annexed. They would see if they could f take kind of like that Bugs Bunny thing where he's cutting off Florida, that meme, and move it to the coast. They would love that. Chicago is Chicago is not like a Midwestern town. If you're talking about Chicago land, maybe, but downtown Chicago is not a lot different from what you would see in not, not Washington, D.C., Philadelphia type. Chicago's an outlier. But media, they tend to be from the coast. And they there is an elitism problem that happens in these areas. And the reason they didn't want to cover it, that ABC News, they didn't want to send people there. There's no hotels, no really nice hotels. It's like, this is just middle America. There's churches. There's a McDonald's. Ugh, ugh, who wants to go there? See, where can I, where can I get dim sum? Where can I get some uh, Thai food? Like, do you have good Thai food? No, we don't have that here. Yeah, a bunch of redneck hicks. Yeah, I don't want to be here. How far away is Pittsburgh? I'm sure there's a decent hotel there somewhere. Oh, Pittsburgh's still an hour or so away? Oh, geez. They didn't want to cover it because it's middle America. It's, quote unquote, what they believe, MAGA country, not downtown Chicago at 2 o'clock in the morning in January of 2019, Jussie. It is MAGA country. They voted overwhelmingly for Donald Trump in 2020. And guess what? They will overwhelmingly vote for him again in 2024. It uh, They did not take the vaccine uh, by and large. I think it was well over 50% did not take the vaccine. And a lot of places that they weren't abiding by quote unquote local health ordinances set up by Columbiana County. So why didn't Joe Biden go there? Why did it take Pete Buttigieg to get figuratively cucked by Donald Trump in order to go there. Because if Trump did not go to East Palestine when he did in February 2023, Pete Buttigieg wouldn't have been there with his out-of-place hard hat and his high-vis vest. Well, you know, we're here on the ground. We're going to try and figure this out. Yeah, you didn't do anything. You pretended to. Joe Biden's not going to go there because he's going to get booed. And again, I said this on the podcast the other day, but I'll repeat myself. It's probably for the best when it comes to politics that Joe Biden does not go to East Palestine. He will get booed out of that entire area. Ohio is not as much as somebody who lives in Ohio and has lived in very blue areas for a while. There's a couple of splotches of blue. There's Cleveland, there's Columbus, there's Cincinnati, there's Toledo, there's the college towns, there's Athens, there's Oxford. But the rest of the state is it's not red. It's crimson. It's deep red. And even Youngstown, a longtime gym trafficking blue area, has gone to Trump both times because people feel that politicians like Tim Ryan have abandoned 
that area. And they voted for somebody who was going to fix, try, at least try to fix it, at least pretend to care. None of them care. Lordstown, all that area. So this is an area that, yes, they will be voting for Donald Trump again, and they're not going to vote for Joe Biden. So if Biden goes there, he will get booed. And for political reasons, it's not good. There was a flight pattern that he was coming from a fundraiser in Milwaukee and heading to Washington, D.C., where he actually flew over East Palestine. And he's not going to go there. So why should he? And it's uh, it, I think it's two of the biggest stories of the year domestically, even though technically Maui is not in the lower 48, but it's still a member of the United States, part of the United States. Yet our politicians this year kind of seem to care a little bit more about Ukraine, cared about Israel. When Tucker Carlson, and I'll mention Tucker later in the, the show, when he had that, uh, that uh, it wasn't a debate, but he was he had an interview and had Mike Pence when he was still running for president. And Mike Pence said, he maybe a little bit out of context, but he was saying that when Tucker mentioned all of these cities are dealing with crime and homelessness and the crossing the border and everything, yet it seems like these establishment neoconservative politicians care more about Ukraine, sending more money and helping Ukraine. And he said, well, that's not my concern. And it seems that the neocons care a little bit more for other countries and their welfare than they do about our own. Let's move on to some other stories. We have this one that uh, uh, I mentioned Ukraine. So we had a couple of anniversaries this year. Uh, 2023 was the three-year anniversary of the COVID lockdowns. Now, anytime you mention COVID, uh, people are like, oh, that was years ago. Why do you keep bringing it up? Oh, you're going to bring up ancient history. Yeah, I, I can. we can play that game if we want to. If you really want to say like, oh, you're going to bring up ancient history on certain other measures. I'm not going to mention them, but you can fill in the blanks if you want to. So I, I, we can't mention things from decades ago or even a century and a half ago, but you know we, we always have to be reminded of that, but we can't remind people of what our own government did just three years ago, that people were trying to make it illegal for you to celebrate Thanksgiving, <clears throat> that cops were going to bust your door down because you were having Thanksgiving with your family and that you were getting fired from your job if you didn't take an experimental thing in your arm. That's all I'm saying. And then you have Ukraine now, the one-year anniversary of that. And so what do we have today? As of this recording, just a couple of hours before I'm recording this, Biden administration announces $250 million Ukraine military assistance package as U.S. exhausts available funding. Hmm, interesting. More, more for Ukraine. The U.S. State Department announced a $250 million Ukraine military aid package on Wednesday, the last such package the U.S. will provide to Ukraine until Congress approves the Biden administration's funding request. This package up to $250 million of arms and equipment under previously directed drawdowns for Ukraine, Secretary of State Anthony Blinken said in a statement. Capabilities provided in today's package include air defense munitions, other air defense, blah, 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 blah. Who cares? Why are we doing this? Why are we doing this for a country that most people can't find on a map? Why is this? Why have we not come to some kind of negotiation table? Let Putin have what he has. Zelensky, do whatever you need to do. But we're just going to see more to this, and we're funding this. We are fu America is funding this. It's incredible. But I think one of the big stories coming out of this 
has been Americans' unwillingness to support this. So you're going almost two years now that this war has been happening. And do you remember at the beginning, you had your, you know, your typical liberal neighbor who puts his Ukraine flag out there or your uh, progressive daughter or cousin on Twitter puts the Ukraine flag next to her pronouns, which is hilarious because if you know a little bit about the history of Ukraine and, you know, Azov Battalion, everything like that, you go, eh, maybe they're not our our best ally. But we kept saying, we need to protect democracy. We need to find democracy is at stake and we need to spread democracy across the world. Oh, we're doing this again. We're doing, we're, we're going to be cowboys and spread democracy. How'd that work in uh, Afghanistan? How's that working in Iraq now? But sure, we'll just keep trying it all across the board in Ukraine, which uh, Zelensky is, has jailed journalists and made it illegal to practice certain religions there. But uh, please tell me more about democracy and progressivism. But I think a lot of people woke up to it and said, guys, this doesn't seem like this is working, that we're sending more money. And again, the the optics of sending billions, tens, hundreds of billions of dollars to Ukraine and you're driving along your streets of Baltimore and seeing people just shooting up heroin and dying, literally dying on the streets. And we say, boy, that money could go somewhere else, right? Now, I think a lot of social programs have been overblown, ridiculous, but it's still bad optics when you're sending more money to a losing effort. I mean, it's a losing effort. Everybody knows where this is going to end up. Why not just finish this? Um. And I mentioned about uh, Fauci uh, and COVID. It's funny because I looked up Dr. Fauci on Google News. And I'm not really seeing any updates. So what's what's Dr. Fauci doing? What's he doing? Uh, he's just getting awarded for something. And here's Peter Hotez has this and this. And Dr. Fauci delivers inconvenient truths to world leaders from the BBC. Okay. And yeah, I mean, there's, there's some things. The atrocious ethics of Fauci's lockdown defense... But there's really nothing new on Dr. Fauci. And why do I, why did I put him in? Why didn't I put COVID or anything else like that? Because this was the first year in the last four now that Dr. Fauci has not lectured Americans and Western civilization on what to do. He was even doing that a year ago, telling us, well, you know, uh, uh, make sure you're vaccinated and boosted before you celebrate the holidays and you know, uh, COVID's not over, and he's doing that. You don't hear from him now. It's interesting. The repudiation, I think that's a huge story uh, in one of my, one. I think one of the biggest stories of the last now two years since the Ukraine-Russia conflict has been the repudiation of the COVID regime, that you can actually say more things about it and question efficacy of certain cloth things you put over your face that they didn't really work the way that some people in the press were putting them out there or that certain things you were putting in your arms. I know I'm dancing around it, but certain things that you were sticking in your arms did not necessarily um, work the way that they were sold to us, shall we say. Um, and I, I think that repudiation of that where it's now essentially memed where the boosters haven't really done much of anything and you're, you know, if you're still getting them, it means you're still buying into the paranoia and the pandemic. You're still, but you're probably still wearing your mask in your car when you're going to get groceries, you're lecturing people. So it's not over. See, there were three more cases today. You got you people you think this is over. 
mm, it's, it's over. It's a cold. It's what it is. So those are those anniversaries this year. Um, the uh, I, I'm not going to show this because it's on YouTube, but I, I do want to mention some of the um, the backlash, the uh, Mauve Mafia backlash. Again, I, I, I cover a lot of this on my podcast where I don't dance around it just because I'm dealing with the algorithms on YouTube right now. But uh, a lot of the backlash that was going on with the June month, let's say the, the month of June, and it started, which was the uh, third thing I want to mention, which was uh, at the end of March, the shooting, the Nashville transgender shooter who murdered six people. And what I found interesting about that was it was a woman named Audrey Hale. Audrey Hale shot herself up with a bunch of testosterone, claimed she was a he, and the response from members of the media, including our press secretary, Corinne Jean-Pierre, Jean was uh, uh, we need to respect pronouns, that uh, we need to think about your transgender friends during this tough time. And I'm like, wow, is that a tone-deaf response to six people murdered in a Christian school in Nashville, Tennessee? Yet demonstrators were going to the capital of, of Tennessee and holding up seven fingers. They completely missed the point because, of course, they're talking about more gun control instead of, hey, maybe we should get to the bottom of this mental illness that this person is clearly mentally ill. We saw that in the manifesto that got released by Steven Crowder, which said some very mm, uh, uncouth things about white people and white rich people that, that this shooter, this murderer, uh, want... Uh, was was putting forth and very colorful language that she was using. Oh wait, I'm I'm sorry, I'm misgendering right now. Um, and the fact that I'm seeing people in the Capitol, the trans activists holding up seven fingers, saying there were seven victims of this, meaning the seventh one was the shooter, because she was trans, and we don't know what she went through that it got to such a horrible thing. But you know what? She's still a victim because she's of a certain class. And I just found that to be very disgusting. And that was leading into a lot of the backlash, in, which I think is part of the the big bigger story with uh, Del Dylan Mulvaney. Dylan Mulvaney, now, I, again, this is another topic I mentioned a little bit more in depth or on the podcast on Wednesday. Dylan Mulvaney, the Bud Light backlash there towards that, was truly fascinating. Now I, I'll, I'll look it up because I want I want to see if there's any update right now as I do the podcast here. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Well, no, I I I could just talk about it a little bit. Sorry, I'm just doing this on the fly. But there was a culture war shift right now. And remember, when your progressive friends accuse you of participating in culture wars, it basically means, oh, they, they're hip to what we're doing. They're hip to what we're pushing right now. So for many years, Target had been doing the Pride Month stuff. And it's not just, hey, I'm gay. Here's a rainbow T-shirt. It's here's my trans kid and pushing this forth. And not only that, it's not just in any part of the store. It was the First thing you saw when you walked in, my local Target had that. The first thing you saw when you walked in, other than the shopping carts, was 
pride this, pride that, pridey, pridey, pride, pride, pride. And I just, I remembered looking at people. This is just anecdotal, but they would look and they're like, they're moving on. You didn't see people really looking at that because these are normal people at their local Target just trying to shop for non-name brand shoes and, I, I don't know, a DVD player if they still existed. <laughs> it's like that's all it was. And there was a little – there were a couple of calls in the past couple of years for boycotts, but conservative boycotts didn't really do much until Dylan Mulvaney. And what this – and so, of course, Dylan Mulvaney was a – is a gay man who's now cosplaying as uh, Eloise as a young girl. And he's, I think one of them is he's in a bathtub, which, uh, and Bud Light congratulated him. Uh, the White House congratulated him as well. And so many other people on 365 days of being a woman. He is a trans activist who got really big and bored during COVID, went on TikTok and started posting videos of, Hi guys, this is day three of being a woman, and I think I got my period. No, you didn't. <laughs> I'm already going through mood swings. How is that not woman faced? How is that not offensive to? How aren't there more women that are, are upset by that? This is a guy who's cosplaying as a woman and going through every female stereotype. I mean, has been almost every kind of woman now, where. He was dressed like Audrey Hepburn and now is doing Dolly Parton videos on TikTok for Christmas. <laughs> it's like, who else are you going to be? Are you going to be Elvira next with uh, with your fake bosoms or wh whatever? There was a big backlash towards it, but it wasn't necessarily towards Dylan. I think people were kind of creeped out by it, but it was more so somebody needs to give a middle finger to Bud Light and to Anheuser-Busch and to InBev. Because there was that marketing executive who came up with the, the whole subject of, hey, let's give a can of Bud Light to Dylan Mulvaney. And it wasn't so, because I truly believe there was going to be a whole campaign that you can go to your local beverage store and get Dylan Mulvaney cans if there wasn't this backlash. They had to back off, say, no, no, it was just a gift. Because that's what, as everybody who's hung out with flamboyantly gay men and trans people, uh, they love Bud Light. I'm telling you, if there's anybody, forget the truckers and the steel workers and the construction guys who get off of work. They work 8 to 12 to even 16 hours. They get off their shift to go to the local bar. No, they don't crack open Bud Light. It's the it's the gays. The gays and the lesbians drink the Bud No, Have you ever been to a bar? That's what hit them, is the people who ended up boycotting are the ones who drank it. Funny enough. You didn't see more gays going like, look at my Bud Light. You even saw it in the video of Dylan Mulvaney going like, hi, guys, I got Bud Light here. Mm. Mm. It's delicious. Oh, this is great beer, I'm telling you. Bitter beer face. <laughs> it's like, no, he doesn't like beer. He likes cocktails, if anything. Maybe take out the, ta uh, never mind. Moscow Mules, who knows? Margaritas. I don't think Dylan is a big beer drinker. I'm a beer drinker. I don't even drink Bud Light. But anyways, there's a massive backlash towards it. And it was that marketing executive who came up with the concept by saying, you know, our, our brand is too like frat boy, bro-y, barstool sports type of, uh, it's like, we need to upgrade. We need to reach out to influencers like Dylan Mulvaney and Jeffrey Marsh and uh, I don't know. 
pick your favorite trans activists. I'm sure that's what they were looking for. Who's big on TikTok? Well, how about that Dylan Mulvaney? Yeah, you know, Dylan Mulvaney is probably big on TikTok because it's women who don't drink Bud Light and teenagers who shouldn't be drinking in the first place. So good job, everybody. Just because somebody is popular on TikTok doesn't mean that they're going to be old enough or actually interested in your product. So they shot themselves in the foot in a lot of ways. <clears throat> And it's even though it has come back that people are buying Bud Light again, it is memed now. It is mocked. Where if your buddy, if you go go to the bar, you're like, "Yeah, can I help you?" It's like, "Yeah, I'll get a Bud Light," and you're sitting there going, "Really, Bud Light?" Yeah, I know, I know. It's 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 two bucks and it's cheap. I've been drinking it for a while. So you mock your buddy. You're like, "Really? What? What are you? Where are you gonna put that bottle when you're done with it?" It's one of those things. It That's what it's become. So even if you can't fully boycott something like that out of existence with that kind of power, it the least, the, the very least you can do is meme it and meme and mock your buddies and mock the company. That's going to be forever known as, oh, that's the beer that uh, reached out to Dylan Mulvaney and the trans movement. Okay. And then of course the, uh, which I'm not going to show the video just because I don't want it getting bumped off of YouTube or anything, but that trans activist who went to, and I, I covered it the other day, who went to the White House, met with Joe Biden, met Jill Biden, Dr. Jill, I should say, and uh, took his top off, showing off his new breasts with others who have also gone through what's called top surgery. And it was a weird thing because the reason I'm not going to show it is I don't know what to, I wouldn't know what to censor. So you have biological women who get their boobs chopped off and showing off their scars, that's not edited because there's no breast tissue there, but that's actually a female breast there, a biological female breast you're showing. Yet the man who got implants is covering his nipples, but you can't show it because those are like full breasts now. But wait a second, but those aren't, re nobody knew, it was confusing. But that was going on on the lawn. It was celebrated. And it's, again, it's not just celebrated at fringe levels of pink news of certain online, heavily online transgender stuff on Reddit. No, it's celebrated by the White House. The highest levels of power were putting pride progress flags and trans flags on the White House, on the White House flying them at U.S. embassies. This is international now. These are our greatest exports. As I said on the podcast the other day, I, again, I know I, I'm trying not to repeat myself and going into different details of what I'm saying, but really United States stands for usury, sodomy, and abortion. USA, USA, U.S. friggin' A. So those are four things. So I mentioned the uh, East Palestine and Maui is number one. The anniversaries of Ukraine and COVID at number two. The trans shooting was number three. And the boycotts and the LGBTQ backlash is number four. Uh, number five. So let's go to Israel, of course. And it's not so much what happened in Israel because just like everything else, it you get attacked in a different country and we don't mention them a lot, but because we have a lot more allegiance, there are quote, quote unquote greatest allies and all these, this talk about Hamas. And I, I think what's been fascinating has been the protests 
across the United States from people who have no idea what's going on over there. And you have these pro-Palestinian, They the reason they look at Israel, uh, they, they, why they hate Israel, is they look at them as the ultimate white people, the white supremacists, is, oh, they look white. They may have may have a different religion and they may have like a different physiognomy as far as their noses go and lips and whatever, but they look like white people. And I'm on the side of people who are against the white people. Uh, so I will support the brown people with the, the turbans, with the hijabs. So I'm going to. So that's what happened. So you have these moron college kids who have no idea what they're talking about. They have no idea what from the river to the sea means. They have no idea. They're ripping off pictures of missing Israelis. What, what are you doing? Now, I, I don't necessarily understand why you're posting pictures of missing Israelis in Wichita, Kansas. I don't think they're really in uh, in that area. I, it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. I get a raising awareness, but... My goodness, it, seeing the the how cavalier people are about this, but at the same time, it's uh, you're you're seeing a little, you know Israel's obviously not playing, you know uh, I'm, I'm I'm again this whole podcast I'm trying to choose my words carefully that I wouldn't normally do when I'm on Rumble or, or my Patreon, but um, Israel's not really the um the boy scout that everybody wants us to believe it is in this uh, case however it's not so much that i'm interested in what's going on over there i'm interested in what's happening here so then when you had these presidents like claudine gay and the the umass or the mit and the upenn i keep saying umass u uh upenn and uh mit presidents and those two because they're white ladies were gone Claudine Gay, who is a DEI, ESG, CRT, just insert your favorite acronym. That's why she still has a job. That's why she had a job. And there's all these reports, like there's a new one that came out that she's uh, about the plagiarism, that she's essentially plagiarized her whole life. That's why she still has the job. So Harvard President Claudine Gay faces new charge accused of mishandling research. Interesting. The president of Harvard University, Claudine Gay, is under increasing scrutiny over academic credentials after a data expert questioned the validity of the research that helped her secure tenure at Stanford. Gay, who became president in July, has faced criticism for her handling of the Hamas text on October 7th. She was accused of being slow to denounce the students who defended the terrorist attacks and uh, slow to condemn anti-Semitism on campus. Her academic record has also come under fire with allegations of plagiarism, and on Tuesday, a data, data analyst challenged her statistical methods. It was revealed that she has declined to share her data with some researchers or with other researchers, which uh, is considered a breach of academic norms. So yeah, this has been going on, and they're finding out that in, even she's plagiarizing acknowledgments. How crazy is that? She's just lied about everything but she's going to keep her job because she's a black woman. And that's what we have essentially seen. And it's, it really is, if you think about it, is the bigotry, soft bigotry of low expectations is, well, we can't fire her because the reason we are here and the reason that she's here is because of DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion, that she is a diversity hire. She's an affirmative action hire. So we have our first uh, person of color who's the president of Harvard. So you can't get rid of her. And, in a way, I'm happy that she's still here because it's exposing this absolute grift.
from the very beginning of what DEI is, and ESG, environmental social governance, and, and, and critical race theory. We've been hearing these buzzwords the last couple of years, and kudos to Chris Rufo, who's been really post putting this stuff out there. It, it, it's a classic example of she only has the job because of her race. And I, you can tell your progressive friends who don't really think two things about DEI, that they didn't know about it. All you have to do is just hold up a mirror to her right now. You say, well, what are her credentials? She's lied about everything. Her credentials, her her history, her um, her writings. And then on top of that, there she is. Uh, well, you know, there's nuance to from the river to the sea. I'm willing to hear that, but the slow to respond. And I think one of the big things is even though the students of Harvard, of UPenn, of MIT are very pro-Palestine because of, you know, again, what I had mentioned, the oppressor versus the oppressed, the big donors are big liberal Jews and the liberal Jews are still Jews, even if they're liberal. And they start looking and they say, look, I spent a lot of money at Harvard. I got a great education. I went far in my life. I'm multimillionaire right now. I have my business or I'm doing this and this. And I've supported Barack Obama and Joe Biden and Kennedy and everything like that. Yet you're supporting people who are calling for my own death, my own genocide. What the what what's going on here? And so they're pulling out. And that's why th this has become a huge issue is because it's kind of like what happened earlier this year with Harvard and uh, a blanket, was it North Carolina, was it UNC? I think it was uh, striking down affirmative action because kind of like with Jews, Jews are lumped in like Asians as white adjacent. So when the Asians started saying, wait a second here, I had perfect scores on my ACTs, my SATs, my whatever score to get in here. And you're taking less qualified people because of DEI, because of ESG scores, because of critical race theory. It's exposing this by the day. So I hope she has a job for the rest of her life. I hope they keep digging up everything and Harvard defends her. I hope Harvard defends her and keeps her on and she has a lifetime appointment there. And every day there's a new thing that comes out that maybe her name's not Claudine Gay. Maybe maybe she's George Santos. <laughs> she's really George Santos in blackface. Wouldn't be surprised at this point. Hmm. Speaking of Republicans, feckless Republicans who dumped George Santos to the side, goes on to my next thing of the presidential race on the Demo or Democrats and Republicans. So the Democrats know that you have uh, Joe Biden's going to run for president again. In my opinion, if you were to if you were to ask me who's going to win the election next year, it's going to be Joe Biden again. Absolutely, I think they're already. And we'll get into the Trump thing here. And actually, you know what? I could probably look that up. Well, I'll, I'll probably bump that up as to the next thing about the Colorado Supreme Court. But uh, I, you know, they keep mentioning Gavin Newsom, mentioned Kamala Harris. They mentioned who's going to be on the bench, who's the next person for the Democrats. Mm, you know. They're going to have some questions, but they have to go with Joe Biden. And I truly believe, I posted this on my uh, Getter account recently. There's criticism on both sides of how Joe Biden has handled Israel and Palestine, and that he's been what's called both sidesing this. And I think that's the right call right now 
for Joe Biden. I'm not saying right call, period. But I think as far as he goes, because one day he's saying things that are pro-Israel and others are pro-Palestine. Why? Because his donors are pro-Israel. His support base is pro-Palestine. So if he both sides this and keeps talking about white supremacy being our biggest threat, well, pro-Palestinian, I would say uh, left-wing Jews and left-wing Palestine supporters uh, they're all their common enemy right there is white people. So may as well just keep banging the drum of white supremacy. And that's probably how he can get reelected. So I think he will get reelected. I don't know if he'll serve the whole term, but who knows? I know a lot of people are doomsaying and are thinking that Biden's, uh, you know, a step away <laughs> from falling and breaking a hip and being out of it. But I think they're going to try and keep anything they can, even if they have to bubble wrap him. So in uh, 2023, uh, I thought at the beginning of the year, in November of 22, Donald Trump announced that he was running for president again in 24. And his announcement was very lackluster. His campaign was very lackluster. At the beginning, it just seemed like he was a, a one grievance after another. And this is a president who put Operation Warp Speed and was proud of the vaccine rollout and everything. And he started getting booed at his rallies because people don't want to hear that stuff. So I thought, I'm like, uh, is it is, is the Trump movement done? It, has it shifted? Are we in a different new direction right now? I think things changed around East Palestine is that Trump went there. He gave a speech. He went to the McDonald's. He paid for everyone in that McDonald's. And so, like I said, that 70% who voted for him in Columbiana County, Ohio, is going to be 95 to 100% that will vote for him in 2024. And Trump started saying and doing, I guess, better things over time and was attacking Ron DeSantis. <clears throat> and everybody knew Ron DeSantis was going to run for president at some point. And uh, as somebody who's been to Florida for essentially all of my vacations the last couple of years, I think what Ron DeSantis has done with Florida is incredible. It's been fantastic. And Again, I was in Florida the day Trump announced. I wasn't at the rally, but I was in South Florida the day Trump announced in November 22. And I'm just like, I don't know, man. The governor of the, the state I'm in right now probably should have a better shot. So what happened? What is going on? I, I, I actually saw – I went to a DeSantis speech. I did see him back in April. Uh, there was a lot of braggadocia with it, very Trump-like, like – I did this and I did this for Florida and I did this and I can do this. But he was putting his book out. He had a book that came out in April that, uh, eh, okay, sure. But uh, it, it wasn't, uh, he wasn't running yet. And eventually by summertime, he did announce that he is running for president. Well, how did the best governor in the country who defied a lot of the, the COVID stuff end up basically coming in third now and fourth? Like he's behind Nikki Haley and in some polls, behind Chris Christie and Vivek going in towards Iowa and towards New Hampshire and South Carolina. How did it get to this point? How did his campaign falter? I think a lot of it is he doesn't really, I don't want to say he doesn't stand for anything because I, I, I think, well, I think partially a lot of his support base, his very online support base has turned a lot of people off. Um, but I think a lot of it is he it feels like he's a man without a home that you can either be somebody who, because well, what's going to happen if Ron DeSantis announced today that he's dropping out of the presidential race, where does his support go? Does it go to Nikki Haley or does it go to Donald Trump? 
it's probably most of it's going to go over to Donald Trump. Nikki Haley has the neocon wing, has the RNC donor class wing. Trump has the MAGA wing of the everyday people and the you know pissed off dissidents in the in the party. So where does that leave Ron DeSantis? It's really nowhere. It's a man without a home. So I think if he has a poor showing in Iowa, that's got to be it. I think it's it's about time. RFK has been a fascinating story too here in 2020 or 2023 because he's somebody who's been censored all over the place. RFK came, I don't want to say he came out of nowhere, but you were hearing him start to attack, uh, of course, Dr. Fauci. He had the book that came out a couple of years ago. I had the publisher, Tony Lyons, on the podcast of uh, called The Real Anthony Fauci and what you know, about his bungling of the AIDS crisis back in the late 80s, early 90s, pushing AZT on people to all the way to the present day. And the lab leak and the emails and everything was fascinating. And RFK was getting censored on ABC. I mean, this is a Kennedy. What happened? This is how much the Democrat Party has changed, because I think a lot of people naively thought Kennedy's going to get the support from those old school blue dog Democrats who see the Kennedy name and they say, yep, I was a Teddy Kennedy guy. I voted for Robert Kennedy. I was going to vote for him in 68. And uh, I was a, we were a Kennedy family in the early sixties when I was going to school and this and that. And then what? He's kind of gone by the wayside. And I don't know if it's so much of his voice or, and I think he's lost a little bit of support because he's been very, very pro-Israel from a lot of people who were expecting him to be very anti-war and anti-conflict. Now, he just kind of sounds like Nikki Haley and Joe Biden right now. But it's uh, as far as a third party run, who does he take more votes from? And I still think he takes more votes from Donald Trump than he does Joe Biden. I think the Democrat base, say what you will about them, they can be pro-Bernie, pro-Elizabeth Warren, pro-AOC, Ilhan Omar, everything like that. But I think at the end of the day, they're way more cohesive than the GOP is as far as their voting block. Because GOP has traditionally been you're either like a Pat Buchanan, Ron Paul type, or you're a Dick Cheney, George W. Bush neocon, or you're a this or you're a that. I'm an independent. I'm a conservative. I'm a paleo. I'm a libertarian. I'm this and this. Democrats, I think at the end of the day, they get that phone call, just like when Mayor Pete and Amy Klobuchar got taken on that trip on uh, Air Force One, they get off and like, we're supporting Joe Biden. It's like the, come on, Bart, say the line. We support Joe Biden for president. That's what'll happen. They're way more cohesive. So I think he takes more. So even if you're an old school Kennedy guy, you're probably going to lean towards voting for Joe Biden once again. Um, Let me see. How many more stories do I have here? Um. Okay, yeah, the, I'll, I'll run through these a little bit quicker than I have throughout because I'm going to wrap up the podcast here in a little bit. Um, Elon Musk. I think this is one of the biggest things, and I, I, I'm not being hyperbolic about this. Elon Musk buying Twitter is the biggest thing to happen to free speech since probably the Bill of Rights. And I again, I am not being facetious. I'm not being hyperbolic. I mean that. Because at, in a time when these social media companies, the YouTubes, the Facebooks and Meta and Instagram and TikTok are censoring you for, again, COVID misinformation, disinformation, questioning election results, everything like that. Elon Musk buys Twitter 
for four, what, 44 billion back in 2022. And it's of course changed the name of Twitter and uh, turned into X and, you know, I'm still calling it Twitter, but, uh, and I think he knows everyone still calls it Twitter, but you can have these conversations again. The people with blue check marks are, you know, those old school ones where they got it because they worked for a company that was that knew somebody at Twitter who gave blue check marks to accounts with a hundred followers. This is before. Well, see, no, he's a he's a, an engineer and a board op at a radio station. Really? Well, no one knows who he is. Well, he, this guy does blogging for a, a local newspaper, so he gets a blue check mark. And people started using that blue check mark as a form of clout. Well, I don't talk to anybody, you peons, you un you know, unwashed masses with your non-blue check marks. Well, now you can pay for a blue check mark. And you can post longer form content. You can post videos like this one. And it's great. It's wonderful. And now we can have conversations. We can notice patterns. We can discuss things that just two years ago would get you bounced for a day, for a week, for a a month, for a year, forever on Twitter when Yul Roth and uh, the Indian lady who was on Joe Rogan and Jack Dorsey and all the other feds, the former CIA feds who were working for Twitter and having their own Slack channels. Now you can have these conversations and it's wonderful. So yeah, the, the, I think social media in general took off with AI his his you had the the crackdowns with AI one of my favorite stories I don't know if this was late last year if this is earlier this year but that story where they went to chat GPT and said is if I think it was either if you're gonna go hungry if you can solve world hunger or end all the wars but the only thing you or or I, it was another one that there was a nuclear bomb that's about to drop and the only way, to uh, to stop the bomb from being dropped is to say a certain racial slur against a certain group of people. And they put that in there and they said, is it acceptable to use that slur if it means it saves billions of people? And the chat GPT said, it's never okay to use that word. And that's when you're like, uh-oh, they got a hold of the AI. That needs to get changed. And then threads, oof, you want to talk about a bomb I mean, what Google Plus was a bomb. This was a bomb of all bombs. And they made it, it was it was supposed to be a backlash. It was Meta's version of Twitter that they were, you were going to go on Instagram and you were going to have this Threads account and you could tweet nice things. See, it's nicer Twitter. It's better. Ron Perlman, the guy from Beauty and the Beast and Sons of Anarchy. Oh, I'm getting out of Elon's apartheid Elon. I'm getting away from him. And I'm going to threads. See see you haters later. Well, guess what? Ron Perlman's back because threads sucks. It was terrible. I think they paid, quote unquote, left-wing influencers to go over to threads and say nice things about it. So it turned into nice Twitter. It was, what's your, you know, uh, your favorite shampoo brand from the 1990s? Or here's uh, more things about COVID than vaccine stuff. So it's like government approved talking points or nice BuzzFeed listicles is what Threads was. And everyone just kind of went, eh, that's nothing. No, not enjoying this. Leaving. Goodbye. So for for as much as people ripped on Elon Musk and the Twitter, I, I think Twitter is as good as it's been in well over a decade, since at least 2011. 
Twitter, you can actually have conversations again, long form conversations now too, because you don't have to be beholden to the 280 characters. And yeah, that's, that's nice. It's nice to talk to people, isn't it? Very nice. Uh, I, I won't go long on this one, but this one happened almost as soon as the calendar struck 2023 was DeMar Hamlin. Uh, you want to talk about conversations that you couldn't have before of like, did he, did he, or did he not take a certain thing in his arm? Is that what caused his, his heart to have an issue on the field? They were saying, is Joe, Joe Flacco going to be the comeback player of the year? And eh, look, as a guy who lives in Cleveland has been following the Browns. Yes. It's a great story to see Joe Flacco take the Browns into the playoffs after the whole Deshaun Watson debacle. Deshaun Watson, who has a bum shoulder, two bum knees, uh, and sexual harassment <laughs> allegations and lawsuits up to his ears. Uh, and he's, yeah, he's hurt for the rest of the year. So I like the story that the Browns are going to make the playoffs with Joe Flacco, who was sitting on his couch a month ago. And here he is at 38 years old, just slinging the ball up and down the field. And it's great to see. And Amari Cooper's having a great season. Under normal circumstances, that's your player of the year. Or you can have a guy that basically is dead on the field, got revived, and now he's playing. I think that's more of the comeback story. It's like when I've heard so many years of people <clears throat> saying, I think when Tiger Woods came back and won the Masters that one time, that uh, after all those years, after 11 years without a major, that Tiger won. That's the biggest, biggest comeback ever. And I'm thinking, or you could have Dave Dravecki, who had a tumor in his arm that they took out, and they said he would never pitch again. And then he comes back and he pitches again for a start and a half until his arm broke and they found out that he had cancer and had to get his arm removed. Uh, yeah, Dave Dravecki's a better comeback story, but this one's a pretty good comeback story too. Uh, let's see, a couple other things. Uh, I mentioned about um, social media and now you have Tucker Carlson. So here's the thing about Tucker. So it says former Fox host Tucker Carlson is launching his own streaming network with interviews and commentary. He's been doing this on Twitter since he got the boot from Fox News. So why did he get the boot from Fox News? They say it was collateral. Some say it's collateral damage. And it was part of the Dominion lawsuit that they're like, all right, and you have to fire Tucker Carlson. Because it's not like his ratings were bad. Tucker Carlson had, in the modern age, and now that we have internet and everything, and you know, I know Bill O'Reilly had big ratings, and Sean Hannity and Combs did at one time too, but people watch Tucker. They love it. He was the star. I mean, he was the absolute biggest thing in cable news. His ten, first 10 minutes of his monologue were insane. You had to watch that. Who cares about the rest of the 50 minutes of the show or the interviews and stuff? You had to hear his monologue every night. It was just fascinating what he was able to do. And, uh, and then he gets the boot. Why did he get the boot? Well, I don't think it's as much Dominion as he started questioning the January 6th stuff. And another thing that could get me booted off of YouTube here. Um, what he was having the extra hours that we didn't see. And you heard everybody from Chuck Schumer and Adam Schiff and Jamie Raskin say that Tucker Carlson is cherry picking. He's cherry picking things from these. And really the answer is no, you're cherry picking. You found what were perceived violence or whatever out of tens of thousands of hours and angles. And you found a couple of things. You found a guy with a horn hat sitting on Nancy Pelosi's desk. You and you saw a guy picking up a lectern, and you saw a grandmother with a MAGA hat and a, the American flag that probably wasn't from America. That's about it. Really not too much. Oh, there was a broken window. Oh, there were things. Okay. 
Well, then Tucker started mentioning Ray Epps. And it was a big no-no because the only time you're supposed to mention Ray Epps is not the fact that he was telling people to go into the Capitol. You have to mention him as he got caught up in the nonsense and everything, but he, he's not about that life anymore. And he doesn't like that he's being called a fed. And he isn't like that uh, uh, that Tucker Carlson and Fox News and all these other uh, podcasts are mentioning his name. How dare you? And he gets glowing uh, uh, interviews on 60 Minutes. And then Tucker gets the axe and you know, takes a little break for a little bit. And then goes on Twitter and says, yeah, I'm going to do my show here. And I'm going to talk to people that Fox News wasn't going to allow me to, like Jacob Chansley, like Alex Jones, who's back. I think that's another big thing is that not only... Did Tucker get the boot? And now he's back doing his thing. Alex Jones is back. Alex Jones can post on social media. I wondered if he was ever going to be back because Elon said he didn't like the Sandy Hook thing. He said he wouldn't let him back on. But Alex Jones did appeal and he's back. So kind of fascinating how things have changed. And of course, finally, I think one of the, la the last story, it's not, I would, would, would you say it's the biggest story of the year? Could this be the biggest story of the decade, whatever? Is the, Colorado Supreme Court barring Trump from because of the 14th Amendment, barring insurrectionists from the ballot so he can't be on there. And of course, now you have the AP that steps up to say police investigating incidents involving Colorado justices after Trump removed from state's ballot, because that's we have to feel bad for the justices, you know, even though after the Dobbs decision that all the justices that were getting death threats and uh, there were open calls to protest and riot in front of their houses, that was okay. But how dare you confront any justices who are trying to stop a democratic process and democratic election? Yeah, I don't buy that. See, that's the one thing about this whole case. It's just like, uh, you know, we need to pause and stop democracy in order to save democracy. That's what they're saying is he Trump is an, a deadly insurrectionist. He is this, this, and this, and therefore we cannot have him on the ballot because democracy is at stake. So you're ending democracy to save democracy. It's kind of like the climate change stuff. It's like we need, it, there, there was that story that came out uh, maybe like a week or two ago that said the biggest thing that uh, is causing climate change is breathing. So we need to end breathing. We need to die in order to save people's lives. And that's what they're doing right here. We need to stop democracy to save democracy. Yeah, I, uh, I don't know. This is going to get appealed, although it's going to be brought up in different states, but it's going to get appealed. Yes, there are people who are coming out on both sides who are saying this is ridiculous. You don't do this. But I think it's an interesting play and. Uh, I think we have a um, we have a crazy year ahead of us, politically, socially. I think the biggest thing is, uh, as I mentioned in the podcast the other day, as I wrap this one up, people are noticing things. People are stepping up and saying something, and they're noticing the whether it's Ukraine, whether it's COVID, whether it's uh, barring political candidates and arresting them, like they did with uh, Douglas Mackey. He posted memes telling Democrats that election day is Wednesday instead of Tuesday. Who's getting threatened with a decade behind bars? They were arresting political enemies. They keep talking about authoritarianism. Well, what's more authoritarian than telling people that if they don't get a certain thing shot in their arm in 2021, they will lose their job? It's ridiculous. So who's the authoritarian? I don't know, but I think that the, the biggest thing to look out for is that 
there's a lot of factors at play that are going to try to stop you. There's, I would assume that my Patreon and my YouTube are going to get, get, going to get the boot right now <laughs> at some point in 2024. So, but I'm still going to keep putting stuff out there. I'm going to put out content for you. Um, but I, I, as I wrap up the last free podcast of the year, I, I do want to wish you folks a happy new year. Hope you had a great Christmas and everything. Um, and I, I think the biggest thing is to also stay positive. I know there's a lot to be negative about. There are white pills out there. There are things that you can kind of wake up to and realize we're much different. People are a little bit more aware. They're not stuck, you know, with their heads in the sand anymore. And I'm not just talking about people at my level of being in broadcasting and podcasting and anything like that. I'm talking about your neighbor. They're waking up to it too. They're not just sitting around just put their hand in their pants watching TV all the time. They're like, wait a second, this is ridiculous. Have you seen the price of things? Have you seen this? I, I the, the cost of, you go, to a, you go to a restaurant, you say, oh, chicken wings. It says market price. It used to be, I would get a dozen wings for 10 bucks. Now it says market price, meaning they could probably be 20 bucks. A lot of people can't afford this stuff. And they're waking up to realizing that all those coastal people who hate flyover country that say, guys, the economy is not bad. In fact, Joe Biden, thank God he's righted the ship with our economy. Most people are like, yeah, I don't buy that. So I think the the uh, the noticing that is the biggest thing to come out of 2023, and I hope that continues, that trend will continue as we head into the new year. Happy New Year. I appreciate you folks for watching and listening to this podcast. If you want more, go to patreon.com slash Tony Mazer. My name is Tony Mazer. I'm going to rest my voice and go to bed. Good night or good day whenever you're listening or watching this. And again, I'll be back with you, well, next year. Yeah, I'm doing the see you next year thing. I know. Corny, corny office humor. Goodbye, everybody.